Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Here today, I have a really special guest. He's somebody really, really special. special. <laughs> really special. Extremely special. Extremely special. This is, I'm sitting here with Jimmy Schiltz from Dirt Rap. Race fans, it's Wesley Outland of Fox Sports. You're listening to Racing Insiders Podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to tell the stories of the people behind the brands in motorsports, because everyone has a story. Here's your host, founder of CrateInsider.com, e-com coach, winning motorsports marketing, and marketing video guru, known as the girl who sells race car parts, Kate Dillon. For any of you who don't know, which actually a lot of pe- lot of people don't know this, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I tell them as like um, it used to be the fact that like I think that I was that that I was your brother, yeah. you know, and so like oh my god, like you're you're like Jimmy Schultz's you know sister. Now it's the other way around. Like I'm famous because I'm your brother. <laughs> so <laughs> wouldn't you know, call me famous. It's like but... you know nobody knows who I am except for the fact that I tell them like you okay, Dylan, no, Create Insider. Oh yeah, that's a, I'm a, I'm her brother. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it used to be, I'd be like, well, do you know Jimmy Schultz from Dirt Rap? Well, that's, that's my brother, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So if you didn't get the point, then um, yeah, Jimmy and I are brother and sister and pretty cool that we've, we've had a, of course we grew up in racing. We'll talk about that a little bit, but um, over the years, we've both done some different things and both found ourselves in racing careers. So, so, you know, with, with that, I mean, Jimmy, why don't you go ahead and tell people what is it that you do for a living? Oh, I own dirt wrap. Um, we, um, we, we do the, the, the graphics and the wraps for mostly dirt late models and modifieds. We do some commercial stuff. We do some asphalt stuff, but our bread and butter is always going to be the, the, the dirt late models and the dirt modifieds. Um, just cause it's a market that we know really well. And, and the cars are easy to easier for us to, to ship and, and for the, the, the end user to install themselves. We have cars in 47 states, Australia and Canada, and obviously, I you know none of us can get to, you know, I can't I can't travel to Australia and Canada or California or anything like that to put a a wrap on a race car. So, you know, it's something that you have to, you know, we have to rely on our customers to put on themselves, which which is good because they're not held hostage by by an installer or anything like that. So, um, we're proud to say we've been we've been doing this um, full time since 2007. Well, and you even started it before then. Yeah, I started when I was in college, so that'd have been '97. Um, is when is when I started um, doing just the plotter cut stuff, and and you know it's really labor intensive. But I just did it for you know on the side for fun and make some money, and I wanted to race, so it gave me some extra money doing that. So that's why I did it. Well, and and back in '97, I mean, did wraps even exist back then? Oh no, I think the first commercial printers that were like that started to become viable in the industry that were there were, there was, there was ones when, when I started in 97, but they had like thermal ribbons and things like that. So instead of like the inkjet, everybody knows inkjet technology is, I mean, it's the same printer that everybody has on their desktop. But back then they had like thermal ribbons, but it was like, I mean, it was like $4 or $5 a square foot for the ribbons to, to print. I mean, totally not, you know, not conducive to, to, to be able to market that and make any money at it. So the technology was so young and it didn't really become until I'm going to guess Oh five Oh six is when they, when is when the first printers came out that were, that were reasonable in cost and reasonable to and efficient to, uh, to operate. And so, um, at that time is when, you know, I transitioned into the rap business. Yeah. And you, um, you made a, made a, made a name for yourself like right off the bat. Yeah, I think it's just an organic kind of thing. I mean, I was fortunate to to know some people and and fortunate to be able to, you know, I think it was one of the right place at the right time kind of things and and um and you know, it's able to get in on the, you know, early and the on the ground floor and and um but then also I think uh being able to promote and advertise like we did and and uh, doing the PRI show was a, you know, a few, we did that 3 years in a row and that was a, you know, take a car. We took a car and and, uh, and we wrapped it twice a day and that was really funny the first time that you remember this because, you know, yeah, I was we, there <laughs> we the first year and nobody knew what was going on. I mean, nobody knew we had, we, we unloaded a car just like everybody else. And, and the whole idea was it was everybody else had static displays, you know, and we, um, we had, we came with a car, had nothing on it. So nobody even knew what we were in advertising, you know? So we go and wrap it and it's on for like 
two or three hours and we rip it off. Yeah. And yeah. So it <laughs> People was like, a, what in the heck are you doing? I know. It took till about the second, the second wrap on the second day is when we had, you remember that tiger car? Oh man. That the was, tiger car was so cool. Yeah. Cause we sold the, the, basically we had, we had to have a theme for each one that we did. And so, um, we went ahead and sold the, the theme to, you know, different companies and, and, uh, Gerald and, uh, that owns tiger, you know, he's, he's pretty local to us here. He's only, you know, about 45 minutes away or so. And he's a great guy. And I called him up and pitched a deal to him. And I was like, Hey Gerald, this is, I'm telling you, this is going to be, it's going to be a big deal. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he, he bought in on it and, and, uh, and I think we made him proud. And so here, you know, this car has all the tiger stripes on it and everything. And the, the headlights were tiger eyes. And, and um, you even wrapped the posts. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember you had to ma- wrap everything because the car wasn't even the right color. So you oh, had yeah. to like literally wrap. It everything. was a white car, you know, so we had to do, you know, I had to, you know, incorporate all that in it. But the um, but that was pretty cool. And the, so, we, you know, he was the second car on the second day. And by that time and we had a little remember the little schedule we had out where it was oh, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it was like here it was like, you know, at Big one o'clock or something. And so, um, you know, and then there's like, I don't even know, there's a couple hundred people around there <laughs> watching us wrap this thing. And, and it was, uh, it was wild. It was, a, it was a good time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was crowd control because, um, because by the way, that, at that time I lived on the other side of the country. So I would just fly in just to help him with the show. I mean, and, and tell him too, with the tiger car that, you know, here's a, a car that you wrapped in, you know, on the front of a whole bunch of people. And it was more about the showing the whole process and exactly what you do. But that ended up in, I mean, that wasn't even, there wasn't even social media back in those days mm. so much, but it ended up in, I think in a magazine and in ads and all kinds oh, of stuff. Yeah. I think four or five of the cars that we did ended up in, in some sort of magazine. I know the tiger car was on a cover of one of those magazines. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which one it is. I have it around here somewhere, but I remember it's like one of those things that, you know, I had, I mean, even though I had ra- I had done the lettering on the race cars and stuff, the wraps were pretty new. You know, I didn't, I didn't really even know, you know, when I started doing the wraps, like, can I even design a wrap? I don't even, I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> and so, um, the first car I did was for Kevin and Leroy Rumley. And, oh, uh, mm-hmm. and so we did the sixth car with the flames and stuff like that. And that's still, still one of my favorite cars. That was the very first one. But the, um, we, get, when we got to, um, PR, I mean, I'd never, I mean, I'd been to the PRI show a bunch and on all that, but I had, you know, I didn't, we were, you remember, we were so unprepared to do that deal <laughs> and like, you know, I hadn't slept in like two weeks and oh. trying to put a car together and then, and then, uh, then try to do that. And so we, we I think we printed most of the wraps the day before. <laughs> and so it was, it was just a crazy time. And it, it was funny was, I remember I was, I think it was during the tiger car and I was kneeling down, like, like, like trying to squeegee on. And that was, that was, well, I wasn't using Aerogress um, vinyl at the time. So, you know, we were spraying it down with, with a solution. So they keep the bubbles out and all that stuff. So it just takes a little longer mm-hmm. and I'm kneeling down doing that. And Ron Slavic, um, you know, Ron Slavic pretty, you know, he does all the rocket house car stuff and mm. does the, you know, t-shirts and stuff. And Ron's a great guy. And, and, uh, he, he came by and he says, he just kneeled down. And he says, dude, you have some balls to do what you did. He said, I would have had to print like three wraps before I showed it because like, he says, you don't have any spares. Do you? I was like, no, this is it. This is all, <laughs> all we got. I even think, I even think that I think we forgot some stuff. I know the second year we did it. I think we forgot all of our headlights, but one set. And I think we were taking them off one car to put on another. It was like crazy. It's just, it's a, it's that thing thinking on your feet kind of thing. But, you know, you think back on that stuff and it was, and, you know, at the time I remember, you know, just stressing out over how, you know, like just how difficult all of it was. But, but now looking back, it was a great time. It was just, it was, you know, embodies racing as a, as a, as a whole, really. Oh yeah. Cause you try to do what you can to be prepared before you get there, but you just have to deal with what you got in front of you. That's right. And, yeah. then, and it's the adrenaline rush. Okay. You know, it's just like the whole thing of just being like, you know, it's like racing in the same way. I mean, the, the the best memories in racing are the ones where, you know, it's like, you know, nothing's going your way and you're, you're completely, you know, drained and exhausted and, and, you know, you're, you don't have any money or, you know, you had to borrow or beg, beg, you know, somebody to be able to make it to a racetrack or something like, you know, that type of stuff. You meant, you know, it's like the, like the PRI show. I think it was the second year. That, you know, we, we've all been through this to where you go through the first time and, and then when you're, you're so unprepared, like, like we were for that, that you'd think that the second year, like, oh, we've got it all under control. 
and and we had like nothing under control. It was like it was worse <laughs> because I was more unprepared the second year than the third year. So we're going down the second year. We're supposed to be down there. We're supposed to be there Monday with a car. Like they tell you with all like you can't come here any day any later than Monday if you have a race car. So of course I leave Tuesday night to get down there on Wednesday. <laughs> right? Part of that surprises no, so, me. So I mean, so we're like we're driving drive, driving in the middle of the night, and um, we're taking my hauler. And so you know, of course it's it's like a nine hour drive, and going down I ninety five. Well, it's like four o'clock in the morning, and then all of a sudden my lights and I'm I'm driving. And my lights in, in, the, in the truck start getting dim. The headlights getting mm-hmm. dim, dim, and more dim and more dim. The alternator goes out in the truck. Ooh. So again, we, we have to figure out like it's four o'clock and I got to be there. I got to, I mean, this like, this yeah. is like a done deal. I'm not going to, so we end up like starting the generator up on the hauler and running a extension cord from the generator all the way up to wired into the headlights. So we had headlights. <laughs> wow. And so, um, so we end up making it there. So then it was like, we have to have an alternator to get on the get home. So I called up my friend, Clint Elkins. So I called him and I was like, Hey dude, I was like, but if you go to the shop there, there's an, a spare alternator and he's flying down. Right. So he's like, and just imagine this is like, so he goes to the airport with like, Hey, I got an alternator for like a 1989 Ford, you know, <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's, it's carry on. It's like, yeah, here it is, an alternator. So he ends up bringing, it's like, here's the alternator, right? So it's like, so, but I remember. Well, that, it was you know, pre 9 11. Oh, yeah. No, no, it wasn't. That oh, was, wasn't? That was, okay. That was, that was, it was 2008. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so okay. Whatever. He made it, you know, yeah. so he talked his way in it. You know, he's a he's an Elkin, so he can talk, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a good so, salesman. So we. Um, have, I'm going to have to have him on the podcast. Yeah, you yeah. can get him on the podcast. So we. Um, uh, I remember that. I remember that year vividly because now it's like I, I show up with this car, and like it's like Wednesday, you know, Wednesday morning. <laughs> you were like, supposed to be like, dude, yeah. I was like, and can we? So reluctantly, they let they let me, and I was like, that's my booth over there. So the, we get in the booth, and then like you, you're already there. I think it might and, have been. Yep. And so then, um, I think I had just gotten there and then gotten my my um. I didn't even have my credentials yet. We went straight to the door to, to to get the car in. So we got the car in and then I went back out to go get something else. And I'm coming back through the security guard. Now, literally, I haven't slept in like three days. And uh, and, it's, and it's like we had all this truck problems and all this sort of stuff and, and everything. And so um, the... Uh, so here, this, this older, this older guy, security guard, he's like, stops me. He says, I can't let you go through. And I was like, by this time I'm like completely whooped. I'm like, I'm just, I told him, I was like, dude, I'm just going to tell you straight up. If it, you either let me through or I'll send my sister over here. And I promise you, you do not want that to happen. <laughs> so he let me through. <laughs> he let me, I know. So. I, I love that the threat of my reputation is, is enough to like scare someone. Oh yeah. I mean like, you know, it's <laughs> like, she doesn't even know me. I wasn't like, even anybody <laughs> it's like all the people that they're listening to this podcast they probably know you from your videos and they're like oh my you know kate's so sweet she's so nice <laughs> also, they, don't, they don't know you can go full bitch on somebody in a in a heartbeat I'm you know a bitch you know, i'm you, just i can go full badass so yeah, I'll, like, I'll, I'll, well, I'll own badass yeah, i won't badass. own bitch okay but, well yeah, that's I'll, part of it yeah. so hey i'm proud of you so <laughs> i'm, I'm you, here you're, you. you're a great weapon there so <laughs> it's uh, yeah well you know it's just like spider-man you know it's uh, with with great power becomes great responsibility responsibility uh, that's right? right so i try to be uh be uh i try to just be nice most of the time that's right that's right <laughs> so it's good so since that time you know we've, we've uh we've just been you know growing and uh you know and just things you know you know it seems like every year is a new challenge and and um you know you get you know we we keep up we have the best equipment in the business and and um you know pretty settled in with with our we have a really loyal um, customer base that, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, they're easy to deal with. And, and, uh, so I'm pretty happy where I am. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting too, how you went from, you know, you were working, uh, using your engineering degree. I mean, you're a mechanical mm-hmm. engineer mm-hmm. and you've had a couple of, uh, major jobs in that industry, but, um, talk to us about the time that you, you were doing all of your wrapping and your decal stuff. You're doing it on the side. But there was one moment that you had to kind of come to a decision about going full time. Talk about that a little bit. Well, fortunately, well, I'm going to back up a little bit, but I'm, I'm telling you, fortunately, I didn't actually have to have make that decision. So, and that's, I think that's, that is an, that is a really difficult thing for a lot of people when they do something that they really like to do and they do it on the side. But, you know, there's always going to be, 
um, an uncertainty because there's no way that you can very difficult to have a side business that you make more money than your regular job, like and be able to manage your job and your side business. It's just, there's not enough hours in the day. So you have to be able to get to a point to where you have to have some faith that you think you can take your side business and grow it into something else, either that, or you don't have any other option. So, you know, in like my case, you know, I started my, my decal stuff when I was in college. I mean, I've been around racing since I was born. Yeah. And so I've always, you know, I always drew race cars and all stuff. And then that, how that, you know, my dad owned that, that, uh, him and his partner, Kenny Cordell were, were, um, you we hanging bodies on them on the, in the cup cars. And, um, Cordell is from Crossville, Tennessee. His, um, um, he had a shop back there. And he rented, but while he was gone and here in North Carolina doing the NASCAR body stuff, he was renting his shop out. Half of it was to Randall Chupp and the other half was to Jamie Kuntz who owned Jam Motor Graphics at the time. You know, Jamie, you know, is, you know, you know, did fantastic work and, you know, Randall, you know, was, is, you know, was, was a pretty prominent figure and, and still is in, in the dirt late model world. Kenny came back when one after, after he went home or whatever for one weekend and he came back and I think I was maybe a junior in college. I think you're right. Yeah. And he said, um, he gave me this little brochure thing that Jamie had made up where it had the colors of the, of the foils and all of the chromes and all this stuff and everything. And, and I remember he had just done that Ronnie Johnson car that, that one that had like the drips on the bottom, that purple, that was like red and purple and white. And everybody would know that car if they saw it, you know, and uh, it was just awesome. Cause Ron, Ronnie at the time, I think he had won the dirt track world championship a couple of years in a row. And, and, uh, but it just, it was like, man, one day I'd love to be like, you know, like do a car like that or something, you know? So Kenny was like, gave me this and he says, Hey, you draw those cars and stuff. I'm like, this is something you should do. So I went and looked into it and I was like, I want to get in a loan at the bank. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I got, and I went and bought a plotter and, um, I bought the software and stuff like that. And so I had a three bedroom apartment with my two roommates when I was at college, I went to NC state. So I had this big light table that I still have. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and, um, I had this in our apartment and I just I was like, I didn't know anything about this business. I'm just going to start messing with it. So I started doing that. And then after college, you know, after I graduated, I stayed in the Raleigh area and I worked in, in research triangle park at uh, Ericsson, the cell phone company. And I had, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a great job. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was easy. It was a, it was a cush job kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I love the people and everything, but you know, it was cell phones and electronics, just not my thing. And, and well, but tell people what you're doing. I mean, you, you called it mechanical verification, but yeah. I, I said my brother crash tests phones for a living. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah. He's always like, how can you break a phone? <laughs> that was your uh, job, that was wasn't it? Much, that was a job. Like, that, like how many times do you drop it before it breaks? And it was, I mean, it was very, very scientific in how we did it. And we had a lot of equipment and stuff like that. But we also were the last line of defense where, if we had some sort of um, inherent problem with the with the phone that was going to cause us a lot of a warranty issues or whatever, I mean that can break a company. Yeah. And so, um, um, we, you know, we we know it's a it's a very serious job, you know, that we um, that we had to take very seriously because of the ramifications of it. But um, you know, in developing new tests, a lot of times, you know, we'd like we would we would you know visit facilities or whatever and see these phones that were returned, and you're like you know, how did they, you know, what, 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 this phone won't turn on anymore. We had to go back and reverse engineer how it happened. I'm like, like for one, one thing, you know, like, um, it was, well, let's see, 50% of the phones that were returned for water damage had been dropped into urinals. That's interesting. Yeah, we had to figure that out. And then we had to, de- <laughs> then we had to develop a test for it so that we could try to develop a test that would like, so we could try to make our phones better that if you dropped it in a urinal, that it wouldn't, you know, wasn't, you know, wouldn't kill it or whatever. So we had, we had salt <laughs> testing we had a salt chamber and, and these things are, you know, it was like crazy expensive, you know, it's like, you know, when you get into corporate world, you'd buy like a piece of equipment that would cost you $10,000 in the real world. It cost you like 200,000 in the corporate <laughs> world, you know, so like fun. Oh yeah. It's like, you know, when, uh, when you're in testing and, and everything, you, you, let's say that you go ahead and decide that you, you figure out that, you know, I put my phone in the, I left it in the pocket of my jeans and I put it in the dryer for 10 minutes and you're like, holy shit. I'm like, I like reproduce this LCD failure that I've been, uh, you know, that, that cost us like, you know, 
a hundred million dollars, you know, over the last like three years or whatever. So then you, so you're like, wow, I've had this, like, I have this way to reproduce this thing. So, so that means that we can, we can, you know, we can duplicate it in the lab. So, but now it's like, you know, now you got to buy, like, if you, if you did it in a 1994 Maytag, you know, dryer with auto fluff or something like that, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you know, auto fluff. <laughs> you, you better go out and find them. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. if they're like archaic, that's what it is because you can't, you can't, you can't do it. You, you can't do it in any dryer. You got to do it in that dryer. Wow. So that's the scientific part of it. So. So it was fun. Well, yeah, and you could compare, like, you know, I've got 12 different models, and here's the one that'll survive 10 minutes on auto fluff. That's right, and auto fluff, <laughs> you know, so only auto fluff. And it, that really didn't happen. I, mean, I know. Well, actually, kind of happened, but not not in that, not no. with auto fluff. No, so. no, it's a, that's a trip. Uh-huh. This episode of the Racing Insiders podcast is brought to you by CrateInsider.com, the leading source for racers to find tech tips and parts for Chevrolet Performance 602, 604, and CT525 engines. Visit them online at CrateInsider.com. Yeah, so so what was next for you after Ericsson? Well, after Ericsson, I, um, um, so I was, I mean, I was there and I, I mean, it was like one of those things where, you know, I was kind of floating along. It was like, I'm really, I really enjoyed the people a lot. Um, I loved the, I, I had a lot of freedom and flexibility with my job and I think I was pretty good at my job, but it, it just didn't really, it just wasn't, it just, it just didn't like fulfill me like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I grew up around racing and I always wanted to, I always felt like I wanted to be someone with racing, but except for the fact that I didn't really want to work for a NASCAR team. And that was kind of the detriment of like our dad being in, in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. He hated it so much. Just like what, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, you can, you can count if for every one person you find that likes NASCAR, you find a hundred people that just hate it. And so, you know, cause like, and we was right at the time when the, you know, the, like the golden age was, was over and it wasn't fun anymore, you know, and all that stuff. So I didn't really want to get into that because also too, I didn't really want to go work for a cup team or something like that. And then it would take up all my time and, and, you know, and I wouldn't be able to race and all that stuff. And I said, I really wanted to race and I wanted to, you know, I just had my, my, you know, our, our daughter was really young and, and, uh, and, and so we're getting ready to have our son. And, and so, um, but anyways, um, you know, dad had worked for Morgan Shepard, you know, off and on for all those years. And, and, uh, he knew a guy named Wyatt Fuller who was, um, here in Hickory and, and, um, Wyatt had, had an exclusive design contract with, with Harley Davidson. And so Wyatt was looking for an engineer. And so him and he ran into Morgan somewhere and Morgan said, you should call Jimmy, you know, you know, whatever. So I just get a call at Erickson one day on my desk phone. I was like, Hey, this is Wyatt, you know, and to see. So I was going back that weekend anyway. So I went back and talked to him and, and, uh, we ended up working it out. And, and so I, mean, I was able to go ahead and come back home and, and, uh, you know, the families wanted to come home and I thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be something more fulfilling. I knew it was going to be more work, you know, um, and it was going to be a challenge, you know, I was kind of not really challenged very much at Ericsson. And so I was looking forward to that. And, and on paper, it was a really, it was a really good job. It was, it was, um, um, I had some opportunity to make some real money. It didn't really work out that way, but I had the opportunity to, mm-hmm. and, um, um, that's one of those things when you're young and naive, you know, you, you trust people and you know, you know what I'm saying? So you, yeah, you trust them at their word and you know, those things that are, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to, for, for all those things that, you know, you have to, you have to get burned a whole bunch of times before you, you know, before you, <laughs> you know, try to protect yourself a little bit. So the, uh, um, what we were, what we were to do was we had all these motorcycles and stuff with the shop here and it was just him and I. And so it was, we, you know, our, what was basically us, we were just, we came up with parts. So we just would sit around and think about it and say, Hey, it'd be really cool to do this or it'd be really cool to do that. And so, you know, I'd draw something up or whatever and, and, uh, you know, maybe by hand sketch or whatever. And then I draw it on, I had pro engineer software and I would draw it on that and I had a 3d printer. It was one of those that like, you know, like now they, they, they spit out the plastic, like Luke's got a 3d printer that we Your got. Son. From, yeah, yeah. Luke is my son. He's, so he's, he's got a 3d printer from Amazon that costs like $219 or something <laughs> like that. This thing that I bought was like $49,000 <laughs> it like, and it had like these two chambers where it had like used this like sugar water and flour type thing where it like brought this thing. And then so it was all said and done. My part was somewhere in the, in the vat that had the flour in it. And then I had to get it out and it was like super fragile. Like, like we're talking like, like, like a, like a thin egg kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you had to like, you had to soak it with this Sienna acrylite glue. It's like a, it's like a really expensive super glue. Super glue. So we had to buy, we had to use Sienna acrylite because that okay. stuff was like a hundred dollars a bottle. It was like crazy. Wow. And so, um, 
but it was enough to go ahead and get these complex parts, you know, and stuff. And then I had a CNC mill, it, yeah. a, a lathe. I never used the lathe, but I used the mill all the time. And, you know, I didn't know how to use a mill before I started there, but I kind of figured that out. And, you know, that was cool. And, and uh, so I had to use the, then there's all that machining software stuff. I don't remember it anymore. It's been, you know, it's been, so I was like all a blur, you know, at the time, but then we would go to Milwaukee once a month with our parts, you know, and then we would, you know, they would say, Hey, that's really cool. We would, you know, we're going to go ahead and put this in production or whatever. And then, and then my boss and make royalties on the parts they sell. And they, I continued to, to make a, you know, make a salary that Harley paid for and I had benefits and things like that. And I was supposed to get some sort of kickback, you know, for the parts I came up with and stuff. And that's the part where I didn't really, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, I don't even care anymore to like, look at, you know, <laughs> and I was never a motorcycle guy anyway. So, you no, know, just not, no. not anything that, that, uh, it was just didn't, just didn't really do it for me, you know? So, and it was, it was really difficult, you know, I don't know if people, you know, deal with a lot of, sometimes you deal with people that your personalities don't mesh very well or whatever. And, and so, you know, he was a real micromanager and like he would, you know, he was real moody. And mm-hmm. so, and I don't do well with that. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was, um, it was, it was rough there for, for quite a while, but he died in a plane crash. And that was the other thing. I worked on the airplanes more than I worked on the Harley stuff anyway. Wow. So he had an F 86, um, Sabre jet. It was like the United States first, um, supersonic jet. I think it came out in the Korean war. So he, um, he, he, uh, he, he died in it trying to take off here at the Hickory airport. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, when he died our contract died and Harley paid me for a few months after that for a severance or whatever. And so I'm figuring out how, what to do there. I'm, at the time I'm still plotter cutting the cars. I'm not racing anymore. I had quit racing sometime in the middle of 2004. And so I got frustrated with that. And, um, at the time, cause it was like, you know, at the time we didn't, that was right at the beginning when the crates kind of started, mm-hmm. but they looked really bad. You know, I was running the limited stuff, the steelhead stuff, like I'm trying to run Gaffney and all that. And that was like, I mean, I'm, I was way, way out dollared trying to run with those guys. And, and then they, you know, there was always like changes, changes in, in, uh, you know, rules or, or, you know, people, you know, cheating on tires or whatever it may be. And it's like, it just, man. So what really did it for me was that that was when they were trying to do the spec motor. Am I, am I way off topic here? You know, no, no, okay? no. I want to hear this. Okay. Yeah. So they had at the time, this is, I guess I'm going backwards a little bit back here to 2004. I'm still doing the Harley thing, but now I'm racing. I've got this at the beginning of the year. And I had, I had, uh, cause I just started, we had just built our own steel motor, but then that didn't keep up. So, um, I had to have Clements do my steel motor, just like, you know, everybody else had Clements but at the time, you know, you're like, you know, and so, um, so I went and I, at the beginning of the year, I had to like rebuild this motor. It took every dime I had to get this motor put together and fixed or whatever. And I asked, um, I asked Tony Clements, I was like, you know, it's like, well, I got this spec motor thing coming and right now I got to put valves in my motor and all that anyway. Should I, you know, and he's like, oh, there's no way a spec motor will run with your steel motor. So I went to one night to Gaffney. This was like later and I mean, later in the year, or whatever. I mean, I'd only run like, I don't know, seven or eight races or something. And I won my heat race and Lee Cooper won his heat race. Lee had a spec motor and he was on the pole. I was on the outside pole. And so I, um, I was like, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, as I, I know I'm going to have more power than he does, but he's got a bigger spoiler. So he's probably going to beat me in through the corner, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be pretty good, you know, whatever. So I jumped him and everything on the start and he just like blew right by me, Ooh. killed me, you know, and it's like, I'm just going to keep up. And then, and, uh, after the race, I mean, just pulling me down the straightaways and it was, it was bad. And so hmm. after the race, I was, I was in the infield and Glenn Clements was there. And I asked Glenn Clements, um, I said, so what's the deal with a spec motor and, 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 you know, like Lee's got in my motor, he says, you're probably giving up 30 and 30. I said, what? I said, I'm giving up 30 horsepower, 30 foot pounds of torque, four inches of spoiler and 200 pounds. And he said, oh. yep. I said, fuck that. <laughs> so I sold my car on Monday and I didn't race again until I ran the crate. Oh um, wow. Just cause it was it. That's all I had. I didn't, that's all I had was that motor and. Right. And one car and, and, um, and, you know, and like they didn't, you know, and th- those motors were all cheated up anyway with the, they rolled the cylinder heads over so much and all that, that they, you know, they're supposed to be the spec motor was supposed to be a, you know, an affordable type deal where you're supposed to be able to put a motor together for like nine or $10,000. And those things ended up being 30 and, you know, I don't know where they're even out now. I mean, I don't, we don't want to run spec motors around here anymore, but, um, cause I, I mean, that just kind of blew it up, you know, really well, yeah. but, it's but, a uh, good way to ruin Ruin mm-hmm. the class for sure. Exactly. So that's what happened there. But but then, anyways, fast forward. I guess when Wyatt died, and then um, I was. And gonna, all of a sudden, you don't have a job. 
you yeah. don't know what's next and you've got a family and yeah. what, what are you going to do? But this whole time, I mean, my goodness, for 10 years, you'd already been, is it 10 or 11 years? You'd been cutting, um, doing die cut decals for race cars on the side. Yeah, it was probably about that, eight or nine years, something like that, probably. But the, um, so what I was supposed to do was before, right, right around that time, I'd met these people in, um, that, in, in, uh, Wilkes County that with the Wilkes County community college, Mm -hmm. they, um, they're, they're, they had, they, they, there was a guy there that, um, the director that assembled these three counties together with their community college systems. And what they did was there's a, there's a foundation called the golden leaf foundation Mm -hmm. and the, um, golden leaf foundation got half of the tobacco money settlement. So whatever, mm-hmm. how many billions of that was, it was like, mm-hmm. a, so that the golden leaf foundation is just a nonprofit that, um, divvies this money up to, um, it, this charter is to help, um, help develop jobs or increase jobs for displaced tobacco workers. So anyways, this, these community college systems applied for a grant and got a grant for, um, doing what they called an advanced materials cluster. So it was, it was, um, they wanted to attract businesses to the area of Wilkes, um, was it Wilkes, Ash, and Allegheny County? Mm-hmm. They wanted to attract businesses to the area that were that dealt with some sort of advanced materials, maybe carbon fiber or high nickel alloy or you know whatever. And so, um, anyways, the director who had started this had you know he had he had started this from nothing, and you know had gotten so busy you know he that he really needed like an assistant director. So he um, they they earmarked me for this job and wanted me to do this job. And, and it was one of those deals where I was like, you know, okay. It was, it kept me local for the most part. Mm-hmm. I could have went back to Erickson, but then it would have left, I would have moved back to Raleigh and I didn't want to move back to Raleigh. My family's entrenched here and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so I end up was going to do this job and with this, but I had to jump through all these hoops cause it's a state job. Mm, so yeah. I, I knew this was going to happen. And so this was like maybe, I was going to start there in like, I was supposed to start in there like January and then it got pushed back to like March or whatever. And, and anyways, in the meantime, I was like, you know, it was right when the printing had kind of started and I was like, you know, I've got a little bit of money here. I'm going to go ahead and buy one of those printers that I could maybe, cause I was probably only doing at the time, maybe, maybe 20 cars a year or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe 20 customers or whatever and whatever came out to be. And so, um, I was like, I'm gonna buy one of those printers that helped me be able to get my cars done while I was working this job. Well, I mean, I I only worked at the job and well, ended up being at at the 11th hour. It was like, I was supposed to make X amount of money, which was going to be fine because I was going to be paid by the grant. Mm -hmm. And then, um, um, at the 11th hour, like the, like the, I was supposed to start on Monday and the Friday before they said they voted and they said I had to be, I had to be paid by my, by according to the state guidelines which I only had a bachelor's degree. So then they, they basically cut my salary by like 25%. But, oh. but here I'm like the whole time I'm supposed to get in this job making this X amount of dollars. And all of a sudden here at the end, it's like, wow, I really couldn't even afford to take the job, but I didn't really have anything else. Cause I turned everything else down. Right. So I'd started this and I was only there for, I don't know, four or five, six weeks or something like that. And then it was pretty obvious to make a choice that, you know, we got pretty busy right away. And then, uh, then that took us into, you know, got made, you know, did pretty well over the course of the summer and all that sort of stuff. And, and then we did the PRI and all that in 07 and that just kind of blew up from there. So, so wow. that's, that's where we are. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's cool that you were doing this in your college dorm, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And then now of course you've got a shop and you've wrapped so many of, you know, like everybody. I mean, you look around and, and you know, you really, you were, you were really a trendsetter or a trailblazer in the whole like dirt cars and wraps and all of that. I mean, dirt wrap, of course. And, and you weren't always dirt wrap, obviously, because the wraps didn't exist. So, right. so uh, what were you originally? Jimmy's custom decals. Yeah. How loco is that? That's awesome. I think I ran across something the other day that was like, I had my old Jimmy's custom decals logo, but I got tired of like sounding like I was like, you know, loco, you know, so I went ahead and and uh, wanted to come up with something else when I started doing the rap and came for the dirt. I remember I was talking to Kevin Rumley and on the phone and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this rap thing. And I was like, um, I was like, you know what? I want dirt wrap. Does that sound stupid? And Kevin was like, no, that's awesome. That's going to be, he was, he was way more like, 
like enthusiastic about it than I was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. That's cool. So that's what I'll do. Now, I think you've got some nicknames too, and some of them which you hate. Was it Dirty Rap? That's just stupid. I don't, even know, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're, I think Spider Monkey went ahead and, and, and named me that. I don't know. And <laughs> um, yeah, for anybody on the podcast, that would be Wesley Outland, and that is his yeah, nickname, Spider right. Monkey. We actually, I interviewed Wesley for the podcast, and he's, uh, of course, helped produce this podcast coming uh-huh. out of the gate. But yeah, he likes to call you dirty rap it's like no that's funny (laughs) i I, you know i like wesley a lot he's awesome yeah he's he's always done he i think he it's i love his enthusiasm and i love his inflection and all that sort of stuff and (laughs) and, uh you know it's like you know i mean you know know, when it comes to racing it's um you know passion it is it's all it is is passion Mm -hmm. at the at the end you you look around your you you can look around and say you know what i don't have a race car anymore i might got some i might have some blown up motor parts or whatever (laughs) i don't have any of the money that i spent or that i made (laughs) but you know what I've got a trophy over there. I've got I've got a three dollar and fourteen cent trophy, <laughs> but you know I've got these memories, you know. So and that's why I like I like going back and I I'm probably one of the things I really enjoy about the fast track stuff is um mm-hmm. is you know those guys are you know I've I've always really you know like Stan and 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 Wesley and all the guys that have always been you know he's always you know had with him but the um you know he's telling you know he, he they they've done a lot of video production for a lot of a lot of races. Yeah. And it's really cool to go back and see, look at these things. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's cause like, wow, I, I forgot that happened, but now I, that's, you know, like, and I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I guess you, you do it, you're, you're passionate about it, but you do it for some sort of personal glory, you know, and, uh, whatever, whatever accomplishment that may be like, I mean, like I know I'll never win the world 100 or anything like that, but you know, it, you know, it's like, I still want to, you know, think I accomplished something or did something or feel like I'm important or whatever. And being able to, to, to watch something on, on, on YouTube or something like that. And somebody actually like, like, you know, makes it, Oh, that's me hitting that spring thing. It's like, that's very dramatic. It's like, it's like, I mean, now I know how to make dramatic sound effects. No, it's yeah. Like, it's like Jimmy Jill's entered the room. It's like, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> you well, I, you know, I, I had no idea there was any special effects in my show. I might go into professional podcasts. Oh, wow. This, yeah, right? You might have so, to. Um, I may not walk out of here with my equipment. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Be like, ah, here, I'll just pay you for it. Go buy your own stuff again. You know, <laughs> that's right. So Wesley's cool. I, I really, that's I awesome. really enjoy Wesley. So, but yeah, those, I mean, those memories and, and now do you have a favorite from your racing career? Cause I mean, you, you haven't raced in a few years, if mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and what, I mean, is, do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite race or a favorite win or a favorite time? A favorite race. Let hmm. me think. Um, wow. Hmm. Or a favorite rivalry. Favorite rivalry. I know people are going to think it's stupid. It's like <laughs> way stupid, right? No, tell but us about like, it. I mean, it's like, you know, I just, I loved the crate thing because it's like, I loved racing against Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan Davenport. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we've always been really good friends and all that sort of stuff. And it's like one of them things that it's like David and Goliath kind of thing. But mm-hmm. like with, I mean, if, if he's not there or like, in it, and I always looked at him like he was, I mean, I mean, all of us that have been close to him knew that he was going to be, he was a star before anybody else knew he was a star. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us knew that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just a lot of natural talent, just that, you know, the experience and his, and his demeanor and everything about him just, you know, screamed that he was going to be successful at this and, and, you know, commitment to it and all that. But like, you know, he's always in great rides and especially when he was running for Barry and all that. And they had dominated so much and all that, but it was also like, it was great to, it was like one of those things. If I just outrun that guy like once, mm-hmm. you know, I can just like, I can just, needle him from here to the end of time you know so you can have um, your best night on his worst night oh, and it would yeah. be like a dream come true oh yeah like that night at charlotte there man i i mean i i, I mean i had you know i had him i had him beat bad you mm-hmm. know and then it starts raining you know we're only like what four laps away from the you know the halfway point you know and so we had to stop and and uh and it wasn't halfway, so they didn't call the race. So he's running second. So we come back the next day. He just fires off and beats, you know, takes off and takes the lead or whatever. And it's like this thing, the racetrack's totally different. It's like now it's like asphalt. And then I think there was a caution with like maybe eight or ten laps to go or something like that. And then I beat him on the restart. Mm. Maybe maybe less than that. And it was like go so much so that it was like it got to be like three or four laps to go and I'm leading 
And I'm like, this thing is so dry. There's like no way that anybody's going to pass me on the outside. So just protect the bottom and don't do anything. Guess what he did? Went on top. Right around the top. <laughs> so, you know, it was like there, you know, blew my chance there with that. But, um, but yeah, you anyway. raced with them. You, yeah. you led. Now, but that's the thing. It's like you kind of feel like that's, I guess, with me, um, I mean, everybody's different in what their goals and accomplishments are for racing. Mm-hmm. Some people grew up at racing or watching their 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 dads or their or their their family members or friends or whatever racing at one racetrack, and they that's what they want to do, and that's that's awesome, that's great. We unfortunately, um, where we live in Hickory, we we just don't have a home racetrack. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we no, know, but you know what? We gotta be grateful though. I mean, cause how many dirt tracks do we have within, <laughs> within like we, an hour? Oh, we do. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm we, not saying that I'm saying we, like, and you know, but, I, you know. I know that you're roughly a half a mile from Hickory motor speedway, which of course is asphalt, but, uh, we, we, um, have the, we have the great distinction of having a lot of tracks around. Right. Here. But I'd imagine if Hickory was dirt, I mean, think about it. Like if Hickory was dirt, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd race over there every week for the rest of my life or whatever. I mean, think about you it. Know, I could show up at like... just like dump truck full, drunk, dump truck fulls away of dirt to make that happen. What needs to happen? Because I'm like, <laughs> think about it. Like I could go show up over there about six o'clock on a Saturday or whatever it would be. And then we race there for a few hours. And then, man, it's like 10 o'clock. I'm at home taking a shower. I'm back out. I'm going to a bar <laughs> or, a, or a restaurant or something like that at 11 o'clock instead of like me traveling like four hours away to get somewhere and then we're Mm -hmm. on the racetrack at two o'clock in the morning and then i drive back by myself and get home when the sun comes up and then i'm you know what i'm saying that's what it normally is but what i'm saying is like when you live at the town where your where your home racetrack is and even when we grew up in iowa you know tunis closed in 1980 Mm -hmm. you know i was five years old so i don't remember i mean how cool that would have been just to drive up the end of the block and say wow you know yeah and so um which is you know that's that's uh that's something even with like dirt wrap you know, I don't have a home. I don't have a local racetrack that I can really, you know, like, you know, I have to, I, I have to go to start to racetracks, you know, out, you know, out some distance to be able to build a, a, a client base. Mm-hmm. So, but, but shipping, I mean, today we can ship all over the, right. oh, all yeah. the country I mean, and the world. And that stuff, helps but. it out. And then being able to, to market and all that stuff. But I guess going back to that saying, like, without us having a home racetrack, I never, I, I never got attached to like a local racetrack. Mm-hmm. And so like, I always like, I, I always loved the big venues. And so like, like my favorite racing moments are rate are being, just being able to race at, at Charlotte, Eldora, mm-hmm. um, West Virginia motor speedway. I mean, some of these places that were just, they're just iconic in that they host and they, you get to go maybe race with the, uh, when they run the super guys there and, all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's just a lot of fun. It feels like, it just feels like a, a, a bigger buzz in the atmosphere, you know, in, in the air and, and that, uh, and, and that's what really gets y'all charged up. You know? Well, you know, I totally understand that. Cause you know, a few years ago I did the drag racing experience where I drove a dragster at Z max mm-hmm. and I did it like moments. I mean, like they were giving away their last trophies and were at Z max you know, like I was on the same drag strip that John Force and Courtney Force and Matt Hagen and all those guys were just on an hour before, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's this isn't this isn't somebody's like backyard or an airstrip. I mean, I'm on the exact same racetrack. I mean, it's just a it's a different kind of feeling, especially when you're you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have to buy a new set of tires or, you know, 10 gallons of fuel or, or you had to get your motor rebuilt. It doesn't matter if you go to your local place or you go to some big venue or whatever like that, you know, it's, it's, it's all the same. And so, um, you know, is, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? If, you know, that's the way I always looked, kind of looked at, is it worth it to go to, you know, if if things don't go your way or whatever, you're still going to have a good time or, or whatever. So, um, so I've always enjoyed those those bigger races. Plus I always seems like I ran better at the bigger races than the local ones. And you know. that's interesting, you know, oh, cause yeah. some people kind of like freeze up or, you know, or kind of just have issues when they try to try to change gears and go like, Oh no, this is so big. And you just kind of psych yourself out. You know, I see that happen with some people. I don't know. I think like the, I, I think it's kind of almost the opposite. And I, and I don't, I don't have anything specific to say with this other than the fact that like, you know, it, I would go to the, the, um, the big shows are always teched more than, mm-hmm. than the, than the, the local shows. And, you know, I'm, I mean, 
the time, I mean, I've never had a ton of time to put into my racing program, you know, and it's not like we have a whole lot of people around here to help, mm-hmm. you know, so it's kind of like what I can do is what I can do. And, you know, and, and, you know, every once in a while I can ask my dad, you know, Hey dad, can you like, you know, weld this for me? Or, you know, can you, can you turn this down in your lathe for me or something? He'll do it. And, and, you know, he would, he would go to the races and stuff, but like, you know, he, he, he kind of lost interest working on the cars, you know, like, like, you know, a long time ago, it was kind of wasted time for him. Well, I think you also have two different time schedules. I mean, he likes to have stuff like dialed in way before time. And That's bullshit. That's not, <laughs> you know that. I mean, we, we, it's just like, you're trying to make him sound like he's all prepared all the time and also doesn't work. Well, you, know, well, you are even, but you're way more last minute. You're like, hey, when the pressure's off, no, I'm, I'm going to do my best. On that, you know, I'm going to tell you one time when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is no shit. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm like 10 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the bench. Um, of And, and so um, we're, we're in the shop. It's a Saturday. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the closest racetrack is like an hour away. Mm-hmm. Get Sitting on the bench next to me is the, is a set of pistons and rods. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know, sitting next to me, mm-hmm. they're supposed to go in the motor. Anyways, dad's like, oh, let's go racing tonight. <laughs> so he built the motor and I, I mean, I helped him there. We put it in the car and everything loaded up and everything got to the racetrack at eight o'clock at night <laughs> and race and he won. You're telling <laughs> me that like, hey, 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 you know what I mean? So that's not the fact that he's any, it's just that he's different now. Now it's like, now it's like he's older. So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, you know what, you, you don't. You don't have any blue towels in your truck, so um, you're unprepared. So I'm not going. And I'm like, listen, fucker. You know, I mean, like you, uh, you, you, you didn't, you didn't even have the pistons in your motor by three o'clock, and you want to go and and you want to give me shit for not having blue towels. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, you get so, that. I'm sure that's an age thing. That is I, well, hilarious. That's a father son thing there too. Oh, know, I so. would agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, like, what was it about growing up with racing that made you want to be a racer? Just that it was just it just it's like it just seemed like everything else in life when I was a kid, like everything else in life was just ordinary, and racing was extraordinary. It was just. Mm-hmm. It was everything was a big deal. Like, you know, I'd go to the racetrack and it's like just being able to hear, you know, hear the announcers announce their names and the ch- the fans would cheer and, and you get to see like, man, there's people that paid money, you know, and like really look forward to come and see this. And, and you know what I'm saying? It's not even about the money. It was just about, it was, it was just that it felt like that, um, it felt like you were, you, you were somebody, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and I think that's kind of a quest that, I don't know if all people share that, but I know like me, I just wanted to be somebody. I just wanted to, to grow up and be, you know, be the best I could be. But like, I wanted to, that's what I knew. I knew, I knew racing and I love racing. And, you know, the older you get, you both love and hate racing mm-hmm. because of, you know, you, 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 you know, you're so naive at the beginning about you, you love it for what it, <laughs> mm-hmm. for what it is and what it could be well, for what you think it's going, what to it's be. going to be. And mm-hmm. then the older you get, it's like, man, I, I hate it for what it really is or, you know, what it isn't. And so, um, but you know, I, I, uh, it's all, it's really good to be, you know, surrounded by people with positive attitudes and, and all that and be able to, you know, take a break from it from time to time and be able to come back and, you know, and I'll, I'll race again, I'm sure and I'll race something and, and, uh, I look forward to it. <laughs> you have it. no excuse. You have how many chassis sitting here right now? Well, I don't even know. They're, like they're like, yeah, but I mean, like, it's like, anybody <laughs> want to buy one? It's like, it's like there. Well, I've got one good one. I've got okay. one really good one. And then I've got, you know, you know, I don't know. It's like everything. So that stuff has changed so much since what, 2016 or so. It's like everybody has to have a Longhorn XR1 now. And so and it's the only things that are really winning races and everything else is really obsolete. Possibly. So you see yourself racing again sometime soon? Uh, I don't know. Soon, you know, we've got building this house. And so it, um, this takes a lot of time and, and all that. And, but, um, when it's done and we get, we need everything situated and organized and, you know, it's like racing is, is the biggest resource hog that you could possibly ever, you know, um, you know, find as an endeavor. It's, it's not just no, money, I, I it's think time. It's, it's, but it could be both though. I mean, it, yes, it takes a lot of resources, but that can be once again, really good or really, really negative. You can be a positive or a negative. Right. If like the whole family's involved, then it's this amazing thing that you all share together. 
if it works that way. It doesn't yeah. really exactly work that way around here, but it's um, but you know it um, you know I can see it you know being that way if it's a if it's a galvanizing type thing or whatever. But with me, it's kind of like you know I've got so I have so many irons in the fire and so many projects going on and so many things I want to do. And then like right now racing is not one of them, mm-hmm. but as soon as I start, like I could have a car that's all together and be like, you know what? It's sitting over there. It's all pretty and it's ready to go whenever I want to go. Let's just and load I, it up. I load it up and I bring it back and then all of a sudden I, I tear it up and then it sits over there. Now it's another project. You know? So <laughs> it's like, and also too, like I've, I've done this long enough and been around it long enough to know that like, if you aren't a hundred percent committed and a hundred percent in, you know, into it when you, you know, involved when you're, you know, to, to be able to, to spend your time and your money and your resources, you know, on it, you're not going to get the results that you expect. And mm-hmm. when you're, when you're fragmented so much, and that can be with, you know, like kids, you know, my kids are older now and they're getting ready to go to college and all that stuff. So I'm not going to have you know a ton of time with them, you know, after that. And, you know, like I said, with the house, it's taken a lot of time and that's been going on for like what a year and a half now. So, um, it's, a uh, um, but when these things slow down and all that sort of stuff and, you know, plus, you know, always trying to keep dirt wrap going, you know, it's a, you know, it's not something that just runs itself and you try to stay on top of things and, and all you, that. You don't so. just push the, like, make a wrap button. Yeah. You, yeah. You were there when that, <laughs> somebody asked us that one time, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just push the wrap button. Right? Do you remember that, was that the same day when the person came and asked and they said, they, they asked and said, how much does a wrap weigh? And I said, you know, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I don't know, but you know, I tell you what, this was at PRI. So we're like, let's just take this. I mean, how many opportunities do you have to where you put a brand new wrap on a car and then you take it off? Yeah. I don't think that happens very often. So no, it's like, uh-uh. you know what? Let's just take it off and then water it up in a ball and we'll weigh it yeah. because you can't really do it for what's being shipped because a lot of that is the release line or that, you know, that paper is really heavy mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So we take it off and it weighed like 3.7 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, wait, you know, I was like, hey, we wait as a three, because then that, that person was like, you know, well, we can't have that. <laughs> and I was like, why can't you have that? It was way too heavy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to say who it was. Right. That's but okay. But I can tell you that there's no way they were going to like, you know, that was going to affect them. I'm just <laughs> telling you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, I but, didn't actually know the rest of that story. Yeah. It was like, it was just like, wow. I was like, you know, I think it was 3.7 pounds. Well, that's way too heavy. <laughs> CrateInsider.com is your one source for crate racing tech and more. Whether you currently race with a crate engine or you are thinking about getting into the sport, their website has what you need. CrateInsider.com has tech videos, interviews with experts, and the best products in the industry. Dyno tested and proven so you know they are the best products for crate engines. Visit CrateInsider.com today to get on the fast track to victory lane. Well, well let me ask you this. I mean, because going back to being kids and, you know, I've, of course, we've got different stories but you know um do, do you have a favorite story from like when we were kids at the racetrack at the racetrack i mean because we did so many things at the racetrack oh man i used to like going to the miller 100 and we'd go and oh, collect all the cans seriously that was that was that's top of mind for me it'll be five cents a can and so we'd have them trash bags and so we'd go around there and then collect them all we had like we'd have like eight or ten bags of oh trash no there was one year we had 14 bags yeah. of cans they had to be complete you couldn't crush them back mm-hmm. then but yeah in iowa we got five cents back for each one that was a lot of money for us it was i can't remember yeah. how much it was maybe it was like 20 bucks or something yeah that was a lot it's a lot of cans yeah. there <laughs> me a time when I went. Um, there was a um, guy that helped out in his car, Haney, Steve oh, Hansen. Remember Haney, Haney? Haney was the best. Yeah, yeah, he was. A, you know, um, you know, rest in peace. Yes. Haney passed yes. away. Yes, Godspeed. And um, um, always, always a positive guy, fun to be around, and all that stuff. So he, um, Haney's going to go to the dog track. And mm-hmm. so he asked dad if you go to the dog track and dad didn't want to go. And I, and, and Haney's like, he asked if I wanted to go. I was like, yeah, I want to go. I'm, I'm like, I'm like 10. Right. <laughs> so dad, dad gives me two bucks to go to the dog track. <laughs> and so I get there and Haney said, he's going to place my bet for me. So I get this, um, I get the, I would get the, the program and I would read all these, these, mm-hmm. um, the, the performance of the dogs in the past, you know, events and all that sort of stuff, you know? And then, uh, and I was like, so I would start, start to bet. Anyways, I, I won six races in a row. I think it was just beginner's luck, whatever. But then um, I ended up winning. Then I took all my money because at the end, I think I had like $18. And I went to the last race. And there's one dog I was for sure was going to win. So I took my money and bet him win, place, and show. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, he ended up finishing second. But I ended up, I ended up coming home with like 30 some dollars. <laughs> and um, so dad, so I get remember going back and walking the shop and, and me, and, me and Haney are walking in and dad was like, um, so how'd you do? And he's like laughing like me. Like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, like you lost like, your money. I was like, so I opened, I emptied both of my pockets and I had change and money and everything else. <laughs> and his like eyes got really big and all that sort of stuff, you know. I probably made more money than he made racing, you know, back then. I mean, I'm just saying, no, I don't know. They paid, they paid good money back no, then. No, they did. Know? Well, actually, they probably yeah. paid the same money, but it I was made 20 more, years ago. Yeah. I can tell you that I made 40. more money at the dog track than I did racing. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> well, that's funny. <laughs> so, so tell me, I mean, we, we've kind of gone through the, your whole time timeline here but what's so what's kind of the future hold for you oh wow you know i don't know i mean it's like i think i'm midlife now so that's what is that this midlife you know it's like it's not really a crisis but you get into this it's like a it's a starting to look at your legacy well put up or shut up time you know kind of thing you know it's like if i'm ever gonna do it i'm gonna have to do it now you know also too it's like i don't know if other people have have, have a you know have like experienced the same sort of thing but it's like it always seems like whenever you get things the way you want them, it's like, then it's like over, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I remember my dad telling me when I was a kid, he was like, if you ever waited, if you wait to have kids when you can afford them, you'll never have them, mm-hmm. you know, or you'll have them when you're so old, you can't enjoy them. If you have kids when you're young, you can enjoy them. And I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids are, you know, I'm, I'm 43 and my daughter's 17 and my son is 15. And so, I mean, I can, you know, I'm, you know, I can still do whatever with them, you know, and all that stuff. So, oh, yeah. but, um, I'm going to have to race something, you know, I, I, I love the late model stuff. I, um, um, I'll probably go back and do some of that stuff. Um, as far as I'm, you know, I, I love what I do with dirt rap. So, I mean, I'm not going anywhere with, with all that. And so I think I'm just going to really focus and really concentrate. I, I've really become more, uh, I'm, I'm happier when I can focus on less things. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done this where you know, like we did the trade show mm-hmm. you know trade show was fun it was a lot of fun and then we're talking about like actually planning and organizing and yep. and putting on a yeah. trade show yeah the car mm-hmm. show the car mm-hmm. show if people don't know what that is that was the carolina auto racing show we did that three years we did two years in hickory and one year in charlotte and and um it's just a lot of work and it was a lot of fun but it's you, you get stretched i didn't really enjoy being stretched thin mm-hmm. you know i didn't i felt like i was kind of like doing a lot of things you know at the at the you know not to my ability and and that didn't you know that didn't really sit well with me i'd like to really be able to to, to basically focus on mm-hmm. on fewer things and i think that would you know bring me more happiness i think that's awesome so, Awesome. I'll um, tell people where they can find you. If they want to find Jimmy Shields and Dirt Rap, where can people find you? Well, they can go to, they can go to dirtrap.com. It's my, um, it's, well, wasn't I just talking about something that whenever it's done, then it's over? Well, my website will never be done. Hey, no, I will tell you, I say this all the time. A website is never done. Yeah, well, mine it's a double ship. It's a double-edged sword because the moment you think it's done, if if you don't add anything else to it, Google will put you on page two. And that is, you're going to be hanging out there with, the, the, you know what they say about page two of Google? Okay. It's like it's like the best place to hide a dead body. Right. It's page two of Google. <laughs> well, so, be. so anyway, like you, you always have to be adding to But it, I don't so want to anyway. be at the top of the, the, you know, the decal list either. And the fact that like when on Google, when somebody types in decals and hickory, you know, mm-hmm. and then I get a call and somebody wants me to make like, you know, one sticker for a you know the back of the bumper of their you know their car or something like that. It's not. I understand. Yeah. Not exactly. I mean, we have to. We're better off focusing on what we do well, and that's the race car stuff. So, but my website doesn't look done though. But you know, hey, I'm working on it. I'm you are. You are. Yeah, yeah. we just started yep, that so, a month ago or yep, so. So, working on that. But um, you call me. You know, mm-hmm. email me, text me. You know, my number eight two eight two two eight nine eight nine two. And that's that's kind of a transgression there too. You know, it's that's that. You know, at the beginning, you know, when I first started this, everybody knew me by by me and my cell phone and all that. And then we kind of, well, as we were growing, we kind of got to the point to where it was like, you know, I don't really want to just have my cell phone. I'd like to have like an office phone and I'd like to have like the switch thing and stuff where it says, you know, thank you for calling Dirt Rep. Please I've press actually, I actually think I was the voiceover. I think you still are the voice. Am I still and the then, voice? Then okay. the switch broke and all stuff. But it's, you know, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, uh. I, you know, by the time the people that, I, you know, it's, it's such a, I realize that you can't, that you, if you get to a place in your business being personal, 
Mm-hmm. You can't take that out of it. If you do mm-hmm. take it out of it, then you basically take the business out of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think I've really come, come full circle to, to really be able to, to, to want to maintain these, you know, these personal relationships and be able to, because, because I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of the horror story. People say, well, like, well, don't, don't give anybody your address or your cell phone number because they'll like bother you all hours of the night. It doesn't happen. You know, the, my customers don't call me and, you know, in odd times or whatever. And especially with texting now, they'll say, you know, text and say, hey, give me a call when you get a chance or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, it's just being respectful and, and all that stuff. You know, it goes both ways. It is. I mean, and I think it ends up being a, a balance, too, in how busy you are in that um, that it's, it is easy at first to answer every single phone call personally. And, but at some time, at some point, something has to give. I still am the person who answers the phone for Great mm-hmm. Insider, but I've, there's other things that I have just absolutely had to give up in order to do it. Right. I used to do literally everything, and, and uh, you're back to doing everything. Well, but also, too, I realized, and it's like, I, I'm surprised it took me as long as it took me to, to understand this and like to go through it. But I'd, I'd always lived by the 80 20 principle, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, 80% of your, of your, Profits come from twenty percent of your products, or mm-hmm. it can be adapted to like anything. Yeah, basically, I have the book, 80, actually, yeah, I just read it recently. Eighty mm-hmm. percent of of what you want comes from twenty percent of what you put in, and so um, you know, there's a few years ago I went through and and uh, looked at you know made a list of my customers and clients and things like that and all that, and there were some things that I did at the bottom there that was like. I just would have been better off just not even doing that wasn't even racing related, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, you know, and it's just a hassle or whatever. And so I've become more focused and also too, I've capped my, my client list. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, the, what I've learned is like, cause I mean, it's kind of like what, I mean, anybody who's in any business or whatever is going to, is going to realize, and especially if you're in this, in the rap business, graphics business that you're going to, you know, the, the, one of the worst things that can happen to you is that you have, too much business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like us doing PRI. We marketed so well at the time that there was, it was just beyond what we can handle. It was like trying to take a drink from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you can't service all your people like you want to, you can't always answer your phone like you want to. And, and, uh, and all that. So, um, I didn't, I didn't like the stress of all of that. So um, I've realized now that like, you know, I, I can, I'm, I'm really happy with, um, dealing with a, like a, a fixed number of clients. So it's not like, not to make it like, I'm not saying like, Oh, a exclusive. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn you down when you call, you know, I mean, it just depends on what it is. You know, if it's like you call me up and say, Hey, I got a, I got a drag car. That's like a, you know, that I, I want to put a wrap on or something like that. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, probably not, but you know, it just depends on what it is. But, but, you know, if you have a dirt late model or whatever, you know, we, we have, you know, we'll always have room for those, that type of stuff. But, um, so you are still taking clients now. Yeah. We're, we're going to yeah. take some, we're, we're always, you know, every year, you know, we, just due to attrition, I've got some people that have that retired at the end of last year. So, you mm-hmm. know, we need to replace, you know, those guys and, and all that stuff. So, you know, you know, we'll take, we'll take six or eight, 10, you know, mm-hmm. new ones this year and, and, uh, you know, see where it goes. And I'm really happy with that. Well, it's been great talking to you, Jimmy. Of course, it always is because, I mean, you're my brother and I love you. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time and spending time with me on the podcast. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I didn't even uh, um, I didn't even get to talk about, you know, I, mean, I, could, I could do this all day. Awesome. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, we, yeah. What do you, what else you got to say? Yeah, yeah just bring it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to have you come back. We, we just, or you know what? Maybe you just start your own podcast. Yeah, do I, don't, I don't think I have think? that much to say. I was listening to podcasts the other day because I listened to all these Iowa Hawkeye podcasts. So that right there, I just went ahead and cut out like half of my customers probably, <laughs> you know, because they probably like hate the Iowa Hawkeyes or like, well, I don't know. But anyways, the, um, I listened to these and like the other day they ran out of start stuff to talk about. So one of them brought up and they said they had just started watching a show called Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh, God. Yeah. I didn't even know anything like that existed. But wow. like, but apparently like that show is like the number one show for women age 25 to 54. I mean, that just goes to show you what, where our country's going. <laughs> it's like the number one show is Dr. Pimple Popper. I guess it's wow. just completely disgusting, but anyways. Well, yeah. I mean, do you ever see those videos that pop up on Facebook and they're like oh, yeah. crazy? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like watching a train wreck. I, I mean, I. I mean, I'm memorized, mesmerized and I'm like looking at it and it's like, I want to look away, but I can't quite. And I don't know. It's kind of creepy and weird. 
the you know the videos that I like seeing like on Facebook are like CNC machines mm-hmm. or lathes or you know like things like that. I can just sit and watch that stuff for hours. Oh yeah, so I think it's just it. like fascinating. I've gotten to where I fast forward to like the end of them now. It's like yeah, pretty much because like, I want to see what it's going to come out, like yeah. what it's going to be. Because exactly. there's only so much of that spinning around thing that I'm like, okay, let's just go ahead and get to I it. I think because I've been burned by that stuff. I Why? invest like four or five minutes of my time, and <laughs> at the end, it's like because it's you know it always you know it sucks you in with something like this is truly amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And then you look at and you get to the end of it and it's like, that sucks. <laughs> Who would want that? <laughs> a piece of shit. You know what I mean? You're looking at you're like, dude, you put a lot of work into something that looks stupid. <laughs> oh, I know. It's like, yeah. I've seen a few of those. Like, like wow, there's, that's a lot of work to make that thing that I'm not that. I mean, it's cool for what it is. It's cool that I got to see it made, but would I want it? And like, not really. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, especially like you're waiting for something like truly epic, you know, yeah. or, or like, or like the ones that are like, they make the knives out of like, you know, like a <laughs> oh, railroad tie or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, or, or like a piece of rebar or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, you know how it's like when they're like cutting it and they show it, they cut the whole thing out and all that, then they're going to make the blade part. And then they start like, they start filing. They only show you like two swipes with a file yeah. and then they go to the next <laughs> thing. You're like, dude, you were filing on that thing for like three weeks. Don't, you know what I mean? I, I they know. should they should do like a time lapse to watch the sun go up and down like <laughs> like a hundred times while he's still filing on this thing. You know, like I, I know that anytime I've done any kind of woodworking, it's always the sanding. It's like really, really, yeah, this sucks. I hate mess. this part. Yeah, I yeah, I don't like this part. I, I don't, I don't like making a mess. It's like yeah, you know, it just gets everywhere. And, I agree. You know, I it's crazy. Well, with that. Thank you once again, Jimmy, yep, for being we'll on the Racing Insiders podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you in another episode. You've been listening to the Racing Insiders podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Check out the show notes and past episodes at www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. Again, that's www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. This episode of the Racing Insiders Podcast is an exclusive production solely for the private, non-commercial use of our listening audience. Any publication, reproduction, or retransmission without the express written consent or permission of Kate Dillon and Wesley Outland is restricted and prohibited. <laughs>